0: Thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and see what you'd have us to see from it. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Ezekiel 25, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. And say unto the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Because you said, hog against my sanctuary when it was profaned, and against the land of Israel when it was desolate, and against the house of Judah when they went into captivity, behold, therefore I will deliver you to the men of the east for a possession, and they shall set their palaces in you and make their dwelling in you They shall eat your fruit, and they shall drink your milk. And I will make Rabbah a stable for camels, and the Amorites a crouching place for flocks. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. For thus saith the Lord God, because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced in the heart of all with all your despite against the land of Israel. Behold, therefore, I will stretch out my hand upon you, and I will deliver my, you for a spoil unto the heathen, and I will cut you off from the people, and I will cause you to perish out of the countries, and I will destroy you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. All right, so we're going to look at, first off, we want to look at this and say, well, who are the Amorites that he's prophesying against? And if you don't know who the Amorites are, we're going to give you a little bit of history. The Amorites are descendant from Lot's younger daughter. And if you remember the story of Lot, when Sodom was destroyed, Lot ran up into the mountains and basically said, I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to hide. I've been, I've been made broke, and, dist- and everything I, I've lost everything. He lost his wife. He lost everything. And it became obvious to his daughters that their dad was never leaving the mountain, and realizing that if he didn't leave the mountain, they weren't going to leave the mountain. And so if you remember the story, they got their father drunk, and the oldest one laid with him and, got, and conceived, and she and she is going to bear the Moabite tribe, and which is the second half of this chapter. And the younger, on the second night, laid with him, and she conceived, and she is going to bear. Ammon who is the father of the Ammonites. So in in a roundabout way Moab and Ammon are related to the children of Israel because Lot is the nephew of Abraham. So we look at this and we're just trying to set up the history on who these people are. In Deuteronomy 2 God told the children of Israel do not meddle with the Ammonites because they are a They are family. He called them brother, but family. And they were not allowed to conquer them. They they were they were inhabiting the western side of, uh, excuse me, the eastern side of the Jordan. In the southern part is the Ammonites and the Moabites, and they were not allowed to conquer them. They they, both countries told Israel they could not go through their land, and they had to go all the way around (laughs) their land, which took them really deep into. What's now Saudi Arabia, so they could go around the, those places. In Judges 10, the Ammonites attack Israel. In chapter Judges 11, Jephthah delivers Israel from the Ammonites. And in 2 Chronicles 19, the Amorites attack Israel. So there's a lot going on in here, the, and basically, the Ammonites remain a, a thorn in the flesh of Israel. And keep attacking them and, and making life difficult for them. God says He's cut them off, so they may not even exist today. They're not Palestinians. There's really no such thing as Palestinians. The Palestinians are groups of other nations, and uh, so no, they're not they're not part of that you know group. Uh, so. We see here that God says to them in verse 3, because you have said, aha, against my sanctuary when it was profaned. In other words, they, they were joyful that the temple had been profaned. God finally says, okay, I've had enough of you guys. <laughs> uh, you, you, you came about in a very bad way through incest. I've been, you know, we've been keeping you. You're supposed to have been here they have been following idols, and they have not followed God. And you know, if nothing else, they should have followed God, because they are descendants of, you know, indirectly descendants of Abraham. They're actually descendants of uh, Tehran, you know, Abraham's father. Uh, but you know, they know the one God. They know the one God, and yet they're going to follow false gods their entire life. And it almost makes sense, you know. The daughters have been run off by God, you yeah, know. They're going to feel that they've been abandoned by God because, you know, their father went up and isolated himself, you know, became a hermit and, and basically put them in the same, same place. And usually, this will happen to our children if we make them do things and they're not really buying into it. We can also drive them away. And I've seen this happen with a lot of Christians in their family, you know. They raise their kids as as Christians. They bring them to church all the time. And my kids were brought to church all the time. But you know, my kids also saw God at home as well. And so many times I've listened to these kids, I ministered to these kids, and they would start talking about how their parents did not follow a God. They came to church all the time, but they did not live out Christianity in front of them. And this is a serious thing that we have to be very careful of. We have to live out our Christianity in front of people. Because when people look at us and say, well, you you go to church, you talk a little bit about God, but you're not living like like you believe in him. And this is something that's critical. I heard one of the pastors today say on the radio that wrong thinking will never lead to right actions. And I got thinking about that. How many Christians think incorrectly, think incorrectly about the Bible and doctrine? but they expect to try to live a Christian life. I'm not going to really trust God. God, I'm not really sure that you're going to be really strong and provide for me, so I've got to go buy this, and I'm going to to max out a credit card to do so. God, you just can't provide, so I've got to go out and do this. And, you know, we need to be very careful. It was like we're talking about these people who raise their ministries without taking offerings, without begging for money, You know, they just trusted God to provide. Their actions of their thoughts worked out in their life. And it is really true. What we think is what we act on. So when we look at our life and we go, God, I just don't understand why I don't trust you well enough. Well, that's because ultimately we're not trusting in Him in our heart. You know, and this is why. You know, I loved it when I did the Truth Project. Del Tackett's the tagline for the Truth Project with Del Tackett is, "Do you really believe that what you believe is really real?" Okay. In other words, when you read God's Word, do you really believe it? Because if you really believe it, you'll start living it. And if you don't really believe it, your life will show it. The way you act, the way you speak, the way the things you do will show do i truly believe that what i've been learning is real and we're not saying this to be accusatory or anything but you know when you look at your life and you go where did this action come from well if you just look at what you really believe you'll find that your actions have followed what you're truly believing and we all have places where we're going to need to work better at what we truly believe i mean don't get me wrong we all do Hopefully you've got areas where you really believe God's word and it comes out in a very strong way. But here it is, what do I believe? Why is it important? Out of the abundance of our heart, we speak. Out of the abundance of our heart, we act. When you you look at somebody and you go, wow, where did that come from? Where did that bitter words come from? Is literally because there's bitterness deep within them that has to boil out at some point when you're with them somebody and they and they tend to love people you get to understand well this person truly understands that God is love and is working on trying to be loving will we be perfect at it absolutely not you know because our flesh kicks up our flesh will act up but we look at what is our life generally like Am I generous with people, or am I very stingy with people? Am I loving toward people, or am I bitter and angry at people? Do I, you know, edify people, or am I trying to tear them down and try to make myself look good all the time? You know, we look at it and say, "Who am I?" Most often, <laughs> and unfortunately, we're the only ones that really know that, other than somebody living with somebody, or which is why family sometimes can get on each year, each your nerves because. You, and you hear them say what they, what they should be saying to one group, and you go, that's not what you're doing at home. You now, I know you, that you're, you're, you're not that loving. When you're at home, you're really you're tearing them apart. Uh, and this is something that's very important. We need to be living out at home what we are trying to live out in front of other people, and not try to pretend to be something we're not. And we tend to do that because sometimes we know that we're not what we, wanted, what we want to be and so we try to show people that we are what we want, what we think we should be. And, and the bad thing about that is when they do see who we are, it really scares them. <laughs> Especially when you're very different from it. And I've seen people who just explode at people. And you wonder, wow, you know. Yeah, you, you were just being really loving to people. And all of a sudden, you're you know, clawing their eyes out. <laughs> and you're going, where did that come from? And you go, in their heart, deep down in their heart, that love is, is a phoniness to it. And again, not saying that we're going to be perfect at it. We cannot love perfectly. We cannot be forgiving perfectly. We cannot be generous perfectly because our flesh will act up. But who are we in general? And this is very important for us to understand. Who am I in general? God, show me. How am I growing? And this is why I tell people I like to watch people and look at This is where you are today. Where were you a year ago? Where were you 10 years ago, five years ago? Are you trending more like God? Or are you trending to be more like the world? And that's very important for us. As long as you're growing and moving toward God-likeness, then that's good. And we've said it over and over. The only way you can really know that is by looking back over a period of time, because we don't see it on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. But where are you compared to last year? Where are you compared to five years ago? Are you more loving, more kind, more God, more conscience of what God's doing in your life or less? And if you're less, then you have to start looking at what's going on in my life and how do I really know God? Most people who can't answer them don't want to answer them because they're afraid of looking at who they really are. Which is why I share with people, you know, we need to be asking ourselves, am I more like God today than I was a year ago? It's something we have to. The unexamined life is not worth living is what uh, C.S. Lewis said. and might have been somebody else that said it but I know that he said it. But you know we've got to look at our life and say am I growing in Christ? Am I getting to be more like him? And if I'm not then I have to be willing to say why not? Do I really know him? Am I, or am I just playing games with him? And this takes us to what I've said the scariest verse to me in the Bible is when Jesus says depart from me I never knew you and he's talking to people who give him all these wonderful religious things that I've done God I I visited the homeless I fed this I fed the the you know I went and took care of the sick I went to the prisons and God says depart from me I never knew you and all the nice good things that you would think that we're supposed to do and he says no you know, you did lots of good things, but we never knew each other. And this is something we have to look at. And Paul Paul exhorts us to examine yourself to see that you're in the faith. And the way we do that is am I becoming more Godlike? Am I becoming more Christlike? Will I get to the end goal? Not until I'm glorified when I did. But each year should be drawing me closer to being like Him more loving, more kind, more edifying, more gracious to people, more generous with people, whatever, whatever category you want to, you know, some and all should be getting, getting better. If I find myself not wanting to be around anybody at all, there's probably some problem. There's probably some problem involved in, in, in my walk with God. And then I have to start looking at it. Do I really know you, God? Uh, what's going on? You know, am I feeding feeding my soul and not my flesh? And that's a big problem, especially in our day, is how much of us time is spent feeding our soul as opposed to feeding our spirit? And it's real easy. You know, how much time do we spend in front of a television? How much time do we spend with people who are totally ungodly and, and giving us wrong advice as opposed to spending time with God? And this is very critical for us. Who are we feeding? Are we feeding the flesh, or are we feeding the soul? You also get the sense when you watch these shows is you know they make fun of things that God says is is important, and they degrade things that you know and, and, and you know lift up what God says is sin. And this is what we're feeding our soul and minds with. And we need to be very careful because. And I could tell you so often, I've seen in times, even in my own life, where, where did that thought come from? Or where did that words come from? And I think about some movie or show that I had watched and go on, oh, wow, that, that really affected me deeper than I thought it did. And so it's very critical. And one thing I share with people, I mean, if you're going to study other religions or other, other things, you need to spend an equal time in the Bible to counteract what you've or probably more time in the Bible to counteract what you, what you saw. But you know, we probably should do the same thing if we're watching TV and movies. If we devote three hours to a movie, we probably should spend three or four, or five, six hours, in God's Word, to counteract all the garbage that we put in it. And you know, how much time are we really putting in enough time into God's Word to counteract all the garbage that we get dumped into our brains? Uh, what kind of music do we listen to? And this is something that really struck me when I first took over a store and they played rap music. Okay, and it took me, I didn't change it instantly, I knew I couldn't stand the word of music, but then after about three days, I actually started understanding the words, and at that point it was like, no, we are not putting, I'm in here more than anybody else, we are not putting these words in my brain 60 hours a week to, to listen to this garbage because the words were literally filthy and violent. And I'm going, no, now that I can understand the words, I mean, the music itself was bad enough, but now that when I understood the words, it was like, no, I'm not going to fill my brains with this. Uh, so we ended up, you know, long story, but we ended up, you know, they, they listened to uh, oldies from the Motown, because it was a black neighborhood, so the Motown fit well. But I took them down to elevator music to start with so that they would be happy with anything. <laughs> Yeah, so good. Motown. Well I first took them to the oldies and then they convinced me to go to Motown, which I had no problem with. But it's even those words were not ones I wanted to fill my mind with, but it was a whole lot better than what you know, what I what they would wanted to listen to. But you know how easy it is for our minds to be affected and to be polluted from all kinds of stuff. And the more we get in, the closer we draw to God, the more we're gonna realize how polluted everything else that we're dealing with is. And believe me, it's taken me most of, most of the 40 years of walking with God, 45 years of walking with God, to get to the point of seeing how awful most of what's on TV is. And I mean, I'm not just even talking about the new stuff, which is awful. Almost anybody accepts that the new stuff. I'm talking about a lot of the old stuff that is supposedly good television. I look at it and saying, they made fun of marriage, they made fun of fatherhood, they made fun of all of this. And I'm going, why would anybody have watched? And I'm not saying every one of them is bad, but you know, the key is, what are we filling our minds with? Because I don't know how we're on this topic, but that's okay, <laughs> uh, because it's so important. How are we going to grow? We need to say God's word is important. We need to be listening to Bible teaching. We need to be studying on our own. We need to be literally putting as much time in God's word or something that is edifying in that nature as we do in anywhere else. And I can tell you I I switched from country music and, and the oldies to nothing but gospel music. And over the last few years, I've switched from gospel music to virtually strictly preaching. When I'm in when I'm in my car, there's two channels in this area that is almost all preaching, and those are the channels that I listen to. And if I'm in my computer, usually you're going to hear, you know, somebody preaching when you come in, or some, you know, children's Bible story or something that makes a point, you know, a scriptural point. And am I telling everybody they have to do that? No. When you get when God starts convicting you, you'll stop doing the others, and you will grow and say, I need to do more of this. I have a friend who God convicted him of not taking the Lord's name in vain, and then he goes, and now I want you to get rid of all your movies that take God's name in vain. Well, he went from about 300 movies down to about 20. And you know, the sad thing is, even a lot of kid shows take God's name in vain. A lot of G movies do a lot of things in there that are not godly, are not honoring to God. And you know, there was a scene in one movie, I had to run it back on the, on the you know, and I'm going, did I see what I thought I saw? And I'm going, yep, goodbye. And it was a kid's movie. We need to be saying, where are we? Are we discerning about what we're filling our minds with? And very important, you know, for years before all the entertainment we had, Families would get together and they'd read their Bibles, especially in America. They read their Bibles at home and then they went to bed. And of course you you went to bed earlier than anyway, but you read your Bibles. Why did America start its school system as much was to teach people to be able to read the Bible? most people read They were lucky to have a Bible in their house, but that was Uh, The first first Congress of the United States printed Bibles for the citizens of the United States and gave them to them. Try doing that that in our current administrations, Uh, they would have a fit. But our founding father said, the book is so important that we cannot run our country without Christian morals, so we are going to print Bibles up and give them to the citizensry. And they did, because they knew how important God's word was. So they wanted to make sure that every family had at least one book in their possession and they wanted that book to be the Bible. And so, yes, in many cases, that was the only book most of Americans had in their house. If they had a second one, they had the McGuffey Reader to teach them how to read. And that was all nothing but Scripture. Until the early early 1800s, the Bible is the book that they used in the school to teach people to read. In the 1800s, Dewey changed the school system and started taking the Bible and and God out of the school system of the public education. Because he was an evolutionist, he believed in evolution, and he started taking, he started applying evolution to the school districts and he started taking the Bible and God, you know, so he was this whole idea of the Bible, you know, that all this started in the 1960s or anything, it's it had already been going on for 110 years by the time that he invented the Dewey Des- Decimal System. He was into education. He was, but he was the one who really started changing the schools. Schools are an indoctrination center for our kids. They're following the communist, uh, communist rules. Give us the children, and we will, we, will own, we will tell you what's going to happen in the future. Uh, Hitler did it. Stalin did it. You know, dictators all try to get control of the schools so they can change the thinking of the young people, because it's easier to change their thinking than the adults. And the scary thing is the thinking that we look at as Christians and and older people look at as being bizarre and, and, and strange, they think of it as normal. And because nobody's ever challenged them, nobody's ever told them that it's wrong, and it's kind of scary. If you talk to your grandkids about things, be ready for some shocks. When you talk to your grandkids, you know, they're going to believe things that you could not even possibly, you know, conceive of you know our kids today in school are being taught that capitalism is bad that socialism is good communism is even better and you start talking to them you're going to hear that from your grandkids you know especially if you ask them specific questions uh, they'll tell you all about how it's all bad you know and when I first moved to Kingman I used to talk to my niece and nephew and they'd say something I'm going why do you believe that well well my teacher said so but yeah but what Proofs are there? You know, share with me. Tell me. And I tried to make them think. Because they, nobody in their life was making them think. Nobody. And you know, we need to be challenging. You know, we as Christian parents and grandparents need to go to our family members and really ask them pointed questions. Why do you believe what you just said? Why do you believe that this is you know, the case? Why don't you believe in God? Why don't you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? You know, because in schools, especially at their college age, they're being taught that the Bible is nothing but fairy tales and there is no such thing as God. They're not given any proofs about it. They're just, it's stated as fact. And you're not supposed to think. Our world right now is not supposed to think. You're just supposed to believe what you're taught. And if you don't, then something's wrong with you. You're not watching enough television being bombarded with the way you're supposed to think. And it's you know and it's very scary. You know we see the disrespect from all of our kids and some our grandkids and and all the kids. And if you watch the shows that these kids are watching, you watch the kids on those shows being disrespectful to every authority and getting away with it. There's no consequence in those shows for being disrespectful against authority. So our kids go out and do just what they see. Be disrespectful against authority. And then they wonder why people hold them accountable for their disrespect because they're dealing with adults who aren't watching the same shows that thinks it's okay to be disrespectful to the adults. And so this creates a battle between the adult and the child because they're going, well, I don't know what's wrong with it. I watch watch 20 hours a day of, of this disrespectful attitude and you're telling me I'm wrong. 20 hours, maybe too much, but you know, eight to 10 hours of disrespect. And you know, I'm talking about the Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, and and all these shows that they watch, and that they're growing up on. And if you don't believe me, go watch some of these kids shows that are on TV these days. It is scary. My daughter went to a friend of hers, and you know, who was complaining about her daughter. Goes, well, watch the show she's watching. Those words come straight out of the show. She goes, they do? And she watches and she goes, my kids not watching this show anymore. You know, we, we think that these kids' shows are okay because we grew up on a kids' shows that were supposedly okay and most of them weren't, weren't a whole lot better, but they weren't as bad. And we just dump our kids in front of a TV and say, hey, just feed your mind with these, we, these kids' shows. Go watch these disrespectful kids. Go watch these you know, people doing wrong things and getting away with it. Go watch them. You know, blasphemy God, you know, go watch these shows that tell them all about evolution. Go watch these, these shows that teach them disrespect. And then we wonder why they're acting out. And it's critical. We as Christian parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and whatever else, we need to be influencing our kids with God's word, challenging you know, our children, you know, be careful what your kids are watching. You know, you, you, you know, especially when they start talking about how disrespectful their kids are becoming. Well, go sit down and watch what they're watching and see why they're, why they're behaving that way. And they've been getting progressively worse. Because I think of some of, the Christian, uh, some of the shows my kids watched. And I was bothered by some of those shows. In the, and this was 30 years ago and I was already being bothered by it. Now they are blatant. My kids used to get mad at me because I wouldn't let them watch The Simpsons when everybody else was watching them, and that was back when they first came out. And I'm going, "No, you're not going to watch a kid, you know." And I'd only watch one half an episode. And I'm going, "You're not watching a kid who's who thinks he's smarter than the adults who's who's smart, you know, smart mouth than is all the adults in the neighborhood." No, that's not going to happen. And over time, I took more and more shows away from them because I'm going, "No, you're not watching these." Now, what they did when they were at their friends' houses and stuff, I can't. Say, but you know, how much do we fill our minds with all of these? Many sitcoms are in that same same place that we as adults can watch. Uh, and I've heard people go, "Well, it's really not that bad a show." Okay, this person's sleeping with that one. This one's sleeping with this one. This one's cheating their company. This one is is drinking himself into oblivion every night, without with no consequences for any of this stuff. And you don't think the show is bad? Where do you draw your lines? Are you, are you looking and saying, God, what do, you, what do you stand for? The problem is we don't think about how much entertainment affects us. Entertainment greatly affects us. And the reason being is we usually shut off our conscious thinking processes when we're being entertained. Entertaining Entertainment gets zapped into us without all the blocks that we would if i was sitting in a class listening to a professor teach me a bunch of garbage my defenses would go up and i wouldn't allow anything in but i'll watch some show you know that teaches the same thing the professor was trying to teach and never never think twice about it we have to keep our defenses up when we're being entertained and not let these things get deep into our psyche without being filtered and this is and i've shared with you i have a son who's who is on the East Coast, and he loves movies. Okay, I knew there was no way I was ever going to stop him from watching just about every movie that came along. So at the, I sat down in, for about a month, and I watched lots of movies with him, which was not my favorite thing to be doing. And at the end of the movie, I'm going, okay, did this movie glorify God in any way? What did it teach us that was ungodly? And I'm hoping to that this very day that he's thinking every time he watches a movie, did this, God, this movie glorify God or did it teach us something ungodly? It comes to his brain so that he will start filtering the stuff that's being put into his, bra- into his brain. We've got to look at things and say, God, what is it you want us to see? What is it we need to be doing? We need to be so focused on him and be discerning and say, God, this is important. I want to honor you in all that I'm doing. Every aspect of our life has to honor him, otherwise, we're filling our minds and, and actions with things that will hurt us in the long run. And we don't want to be so bad off necessarily that we drive everybody off because of how holy we are and, you know, I can't do anything, you know. No, I will sit down, like I said, with my son, I watched a bunch of movies. I did not enjoy all the movies that he watched, but I wanted to help teach him something as well. That doesn't mean go out and watch X-rated movies just because people around you are. If you've got those kind of friends, get away. Yes. You don't need those friends. You don't need that kind of acting. But you know how much of our speaking can get very risque and cross the line when people are joking and playing around. Uh, you know, I've seen it many times. You know, it's called locker room humor or whatever, you know. it's. you're saying things that really shouldn't be said, and it's coarse joking, and God actually says you'll be held accountable for every coarse words that come out of your mouth. But it is so critical. What fills our mind with that kind of language is that we spend too much time dwelling on it in the first place. We will act out what we are spending time thinking. If you've been forgiven for that sort of thing, will you still... If you've confessed it and it's under the blood then it is under the blood and confessed. Jesus died for the sins. The problem that we have is we're not being judged for the sin that we've done as much as really for what it's going to do to others. If I'm joking coarsely with somebody, I'm leading them down the wrong path. Okay, I'm leading them to think the wrong thoughts. And you know, I might, at my level of spirituality, get away with it and not be driven down the wrong path. They may not. I don't want to go down that path that path of course jesting and and for most things people look at me and they go you're you're you are maybe too well too serious and I might be too serious but I don't want to play a lot of games and and stuff but I also don't enjoy doing that kind of stuff so it's not a problem I'm not tempted to do it because I've been following God long enough that you know I don't want to get I don't want to engage in those things I don't want to go down those avenues not saying that I've never been tempted. I've had some heavily, heavy temptations over my lifetime, especially when I was younger. But still into this day, I have areas in my life that are very hard to get over. And I have to be very careful in those areas, not to provide a way for Satan to get into my life and my heart. And so each one of us is going to be at, number one, we're all going to have weaknesses. You know, We're going to have weaknesses to the day we die that will be something that can stumble us if we're not very careful. We're all gonna have strengths where we feel we probably aren't going to fall. And as I've said, be very careful of your strength because you need to keep a guard on even your strength. These evangelists who get into adulterous affairs, I'm sure they never thought in their lifetime that they would ever commit adultery. You know, They're probably going, well, I know that I'll never, I love my wife so much, I'll never commit adultery. And not put a guard on it and do some stupid things. And the next thing you know, their strength is their downfall. And we got to be careful because Satan will usually trip us up in our strength, not our weakness. Because we guard our weakness. God, I know I'm weak in here. I'm never going to do, I'm never going to put myself in this place because I'm just so weak. But God, you know, uh, I've never been tempted by alcohol. I can go hang out with the alcoholics all I want and I'll never be tempted. Uh, you better be careful. You know, God, I'd never commit adultery with, you know, with somebody because I love my wife so much that there's just no way that I'd ever do that. If you're catching yourself saying there's something in your life that you would never fall in, put a guard on it. Be aware of it, that that is where Satan trips us up. More often than not, he trips us up in our strengths, not our weaknesses. Because we, he knows the weakness is easy. He can get us with the weakness anytime. But somebody falls on their strength, it's devastating. It's devastating to most people to fall in their strength. Because, man, how awful must I be to fall in something that I thought was so strong? And when you fall in your weakness, it's like, OK, I knew it was a weakness anyway, God, I'm sorry. And you bounce back a lot quicker from it. But when you fall in your strength, it can Satan will use that. What an awful Christian you are. You know, you thought you were so strong in this. and you. And you fell in that area, and he will condemn us. You know, he'll try to condemn us in our weakness, but we kind of knew it was a weakness to begin with. So it's like, you know, I said you're right, I, I really fell on this, but you know. But when you fall in your strength, it's it can be devastating. And it can really hold you back if you don't understand God's forgiveness. And this is something that we've got to understand is how forgiving God is. He will forgive. If we confess our sins, he will forgive. David Committed adultery with Bathsheba. That was a capital offense in, in Israel. Then he went out and murdered Uriah, which is a second capital offense. Okay. He deserved to be executed, which is why he tried so hard to hide it all. Because he knew that the punishment for both those crimes was death. And God forgave him. All right, So God will forgive Sin. There's consequences for the sin. David suffered great consequences for both the adultery and the murder. He, he, he faced all kinds of consequences. God said, "The sword's never going to leave your family. What you did in private will be done out in public." And when Absalom chased him out, he took David's concubines up onto the rooftop of the palace and 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 took them took them in plain view of everybody. Uh, so. God said, you know, what you did, in, you know, what you did in private is going to be, you know, in, done in public. And the sword never left his family. His kids were killing each other, and uh, they were always at war. There's consequence for what we do wrong. That's interesting, you first saw a bad from the yeah, yeah. I guess that would call it irony. Yeah, well, that's what God said would happen. It's what God said would happen. Uh, so we want to be very careful as we look at our lives. Don't ever think you're so strong that you've grown so far that you'll never fall in any area of your life, any area. And you go, well, I've been successful. You know, well, no, God, you know, it's, you're only successful because God's given you the grace to be successful. And the moment you take the guard off that area of your life, it's probably going to fall. And we want to be very careful. Stay in God's Word. Stay amongst God's people. Have accountability partners. Have people that you go, I need you to be able to hold me accountable, especially in your weaknesses, but even in your strengths. Very important for this that we get together and go, I want you, this is my weakness. I need you to be praying for me. I need you to be willing to ask me how I'm doing in this area. I've got two friends that can do that to me at any time. They can call me up and just say, how are you doing in this area? Very important for that because if, if you don't want to lie to them you're going to be even if you lie to them you're going to be convicted <laughs> so you know what are we looking at how are we going to grow with god spending time in his word spending time with his people and analyzing analyzing your life and say god am i following you the way i should be following you am i am i keeping my your faith am i going forward and Go, go with a great strength with God. And that has nothing to do with Ezekiel 25, but we'll go to Ezekiel 25 next week. <laughs> so let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us. And Lord, we do ask you to help us to stay strong. Give us the discernment in our lives to know when we're going astray and that you will help us to learn. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.